Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, it is so uh, awesome and, and just a privilege to see you all. Thankful that you've chosen to join us uh, and worship this morning. If you're a guest this morning, so grateful that you're here. Uh, just again, thank for, thanks for uh, worshiping with us this morning. If you're a, a guest maybe from our Delaware campus, I know closed down over uh, the past couple of weeks here, so so thankful to, to see you guys and worship alongside of you as well this morning. Uh, well, hey, a couple things before we get started. If you are a guest, uh, we'd love for you to uh, go to on your phone, lpguest.com. There's also some QR codes in front of you on the chairs. Um, they may be on the floor because sometimes they fall off. Uh, if you would scan that, it will direct you to lpguest.com. Uh, we have a digital guest information card for you there. We'd love for you to fill that out so we can connect with you. We'd also love to donate uh, to one of our partner ministries on your uh, behalf. I will also say before we get started, uh, we do have an app as a church, uh, and the reason I, I want to direct you to that, uh, you can find that wherever you find your apps, um, LifePoint Ohio app. You can follow along with the message uh, from today through that app. There's interactive notes, so you can take notes or whatever you want to do, send those to yourself, and so I just always want to make sure you are aware of that. Okay, so today uh, we are in Psalm 1 as we continue on in a series that we have been in now for several weeks, and we're calling this series Playlist. And the reason we're calling this series Playlist is because the Psalms uh, are, are really songs directed to God. And in the Psalms, what we see is that there are, there are 150 of them, which is a lot. And in these 150 Psalms, um, they, wherever you are, whatever you're walking through in life, whether that's a really good season or a really, really difficult season, the Psalms has a song for you. The Psalms will speak to whatever it is you are walking through right now, and the Psalms will give you language to go to God. The Psalms will help you see that God sees me where I am. God sees me and what I'm walking through. God has spoken to me in his word, and God hears me when I sing to him, whether in mourning or in joy. And so, given that, the big idea of this series, something we've said each and every week, is that God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. Try and say that five times fast and you will fail. Anyway, God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. And so today, we're going to be in Psalm 1. As I said, you can follow along in your Bible. We will have the text on the screens for you as well. I would also say, if you don't have a Bible but you want one, Talk to me after service. We'd love to get one into your hands. So I'm going to read Psalm 1 in its entirety. It is six verses, and then we'll sort of go from there. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Before we dive into this, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we do ask that you would help us. We need your help, Father. And so as we open your word, would you open it to us? 
Would you guide us by your spirit? Would you please help me communicate clearly? Get me out of the way so that we can see the wonders and the glory of what you've spoken to us. We love you. We trust you. It's in Christ's name that I come to you. Amen. All right. So the psalm begins with, blessed is the man. Okay? Blessed is the man. And I will say, over the first chunk here of this message, we're going to get into quite a few word studies. Okay? And so um, if you're hearing that and you're saying, that sounds incredibly boring, um, I would say, if you fall asleep, um, it's not going to be good for you because... I believe what this psalm tells us is some really critical, really important things about the very nature of happiness. And so if you fall asleep over these next minutes as I'm getting pretty nerdy about words and then you're a grump later on today, that is on you, all right? So I'm just, I'm just letting you know. So, okay, back, back to, the, to the words here. So again, it begins with blessed is the man. And so I first want to take a little time talking about the word blessed Um, Because when you read the scriptures, what you're going to see is the word blessed is used all over the place. All different kinds of ways and all different kinds of situations we see the word blessed used. If you recall, which I'm sure you do, back in week one of this series, we were in Psalm 103, and what we saw David saying was, bless the Lord, O my soul. It was like, us bless God. I thought God blessed us. And so what we we worked through here was that for us to bless God It's not us giving God some benefit that he needs. God doesn't need us. God desires us, but he doesn't need us. But to bless the Lord, from our perspective, is to go to the Lord in praising thankfulness. Okay? That's just one example of how blessed or blessed is used a little bit differently. And so how is it being used in this particular instance? Now here comes the word study. So if you go into your original Hebrew, and I'm sure you've already got this one um, circled or something, blessed is really the Hebrew word esher. And esher means happy or content. And so what that means is when we read blessed is the man, what we can actually read is happy is the man. And now I... Any woman in the room, you're like, well, I feel left out. The word man here is actually the Hebrew word ish or ish, and it is meant and it is placed here as a sort of general representation of a godly person. And so really what we could say is blessed is the man, we could actually say happy is the person. That's what this is saying. And so now if we keep going a little bit and we hear this, it says happy is the person who. You remember that. Happy is the person who, and, and what I'd like for you to think of for just a second, imagine we, we didn't just read the, the psalm in its entirety, and I know you've got it down, but I want you to sort of fill in that blank. Happy is the person who, what? Depending on our season of life, we might respond to this in a different way. If you are a student, you might say, happy is the person who doesn't have final exams, Right? I know there's two in the front here that are walking through that right now, right? We might say, happy is the person who has their own house. Happy is the person who doesn't have health issues. Happy is the person whose children grew up but stayed close by. Happy is the person whose family is still together. Happy is the person whose house is awesome. Happy is the person who fill in the blank. Isn't that generally how we think of happiness? And maybe some of you were thinking, no, Paul, the answer is Jesus, obviously. And obviously it is. 
Happy is the person who follows Jesus. But I, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. And I don't want to oversimplify such a critical thing as happiness. And so, you see, the reason I think we often fill in that happy is the person who with circumstantial things is because of the very word happy and its meaning to us. Once again, to get nerdy in the word study here, in the 1500s, that's really when the word happy came about. The root word is hap, which means good luck or good fortune. And the E really means very much or a lot of. And so when you put that together, what you get is the meaning of happy when it was originally used in the 1500s was somebody who had a lot of good luck or a lot of good fortune. And so the way that this would work out is if you were a peasant in 1500 and you saw this dude you went to high school with who was dumb as a box of rocks and who had seemingly no redeeming qualities and you see him riding around on a sweet stallion with a moat around his house in some awesome armor, what you would say is that guy has just gotten so lucky. There's no way he could do that. And so what you would say is by looking at this guy, you would say he must be so happy. But not me. Because I'm, I'm on the outside. I'm looking at this person and everything they've got. He is so happy because he has or she has received so much good luck. So much good fortune, but, but I haven't. My life has not gone the way that I thought it would. And don't we do that today? We carry that defin definition into our present day. We look at somebody else's circumstances and we think they must be so happy because they have X, Y, Z. Here's the problem. That's not a biblical definition of happy. It's a really, really big problem because that's often the way in which we operate. Biblically speaking, happiness is not an unpredictable feeling that comes and goes. It's not. How many of us feel like that? Some mornings I wake up and I'm happy. Some mornings I wake up and I just want to stay there. It's a natural condition of the human experience. But I believe biblically speaking, happiness is not an unpredictable feeling that comes and goes. Rather, biblical happiness is more like a personal attribute to be intentionally pursued, cultivated, and matured. Biblical happiness is more like a personal attribute, something that really defines you and something that you're actually able, able to pursue, to cultivate, to grow, and to mature within you. And suddenly, isn't there a steadying effect that comes into our minds. And so now, as I make large statements like that, I want to try and prove it to you biblically. Because we shouldn't just take my word for it. Anything I said should be filtered through God's word. And so is this what God is saying? Is God saying happiness is a personal attribute that can be matured, cultivated, and really nurtured? And so with that, we then return to verse 1. It says, blessed is the man, happy is the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What do you notice about this verse? All of these things are things that you do or do not do. There seems to be, again, according to the word study we all just did together, what seems to be being said here is that there is a personal input in the pursuit of happiness. 
What the scripture did not say is happy is the person who has a lot of great luck. No, it said happy is the person who doesn't do certain things. It starts out in the negative. What are those things? Well, number one, happiness is impacted by who we listen to. And I cited exactly where I found that in the scriptures. Right? I don't know that we actively think about this very much. I don't know if as we're hearing things and as we're listening to things, we have a a filter on in our heads and our minds to think about, okay, is this biblically honoring or is this not? See, we live in a culture in a time in which we receive somewhere between four and 10,000 advertisements per day, right? And, and it said, look, is, blessed or happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The, those advertisements, that media in a form is counsel, isn't it? What's the counsel? Buy this thing so that you will feel X, Y, Z. The counsel is do this so that this will happen. And so what we have to do as believers, as we're cultivating happiness within us, is have a filter on to say, wait a minute, is that, is that right? Do I need this thing? What is the purpose of this thing? What will this thing do to my soul? Why am I buying this thing? Why am I interested in this thing? Is it is something I need? Is it something that cultivates something that God is doing within me? Or is it something that distracts me? We need to have a radar up. We would also say that we need to be really wise with who it is we listen to as we're driving, as we're sitting at home, spending time with our family and the television is on or whatever it may be. Does, do people say television anymore? Is the TV's on? I, what am I? Uh, yeah, okay, anyway. So... The television is on. And, no, but, but who are the voices you're listening to? Well, when the TV's on, what's being said? What's coming into your mind? What are you allowing to go from your mind to your heart? When you're driving and you're listening to the radio or to a podcast or to Spotify or whatever it is you're listening to, what are the words that are being said? Words have power. Words have power in a way that I think we drastically underestimate. Words shape the way we see people. Words shape the way we see ourselves. Words shape the way we see the world. And we have to understand, oh, this is just an innocent song. No, it's not. It changes the way you think. Why do you think in a movie, the mood suddenly changes when the music changes? We feel Music. We respond to music emotionally and almost physically. I don't know why, but once again, God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms, right? There's something about music that we naturally resonate with, and we have to have our radar up, church, about what we're listening to. And my goal not, is here not to be like, well, you can't listen to this, but you can listen to this. My goal is not to set strict parameters, okay? My goal is not to say this is okay and this is not. We, we know the ones that are not okay and the ones that are, I think. The goal is to say, is this honoring to Christ? And is this good for my soul? And that's going to look different depending on where you are in your walk with Jesus. Let me just be frank. I don't know, several times, my wife and I, we have turned on a TV show or a movie, and it's like, wow, this, wait, nope, this isn't going to work anymore. Something just happens. And so we need to pay attention to that, and we need to not pass judgment on those who are maybe newer in their walk with Jesus and say, you really listen to that? You watch that? No, the goal is, hey, maybe what is that doing to your soul? So again, just keep that in mind. And the Bible here says that happiness is attached to this. 
right? Happiness is absolutely attached to this. Point number two, happiness is impacted by the way we're following, right? Again, once again, nor stands in the way of sinners. The the word way here is connected to path, and it really has this idea of, of, of sort of the general way or trajectory that we are following. And so a person, somebody who is blessed, somebody who is happy, does not stand in the way of sinners. Let me ask you this question, church. Should our life as believers in Jesus follow the same pattern, routine, or rhythm as the life of an unbeliever? Should our life as believers follow the same pattern, rhythm, and routine as the life of an unbeliever? And as I'm saying that, you might recoil a bit and say, that sounds a little offensive. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be judgmental either. And the point is not to be judgmental. The point is to say, we're supposed to live set-apart lives. It doesn't mean we can't wear certain things or we have to drive certain vehicles. What it means is that our pattern of life, the way in which we use our resources, the way in which we spend our time, the media that we consume, all of it should have a purpose, and that purpose should be ultimately a cultivation of our relationship with Jesus. And so if our life looks exactly like the person next door who doesn't follow Jesus, that should be a red flag to say, are you following Jesus or are you following culture? Are you following the way of the world or are you following the way of Christ? Different. And we need to again have our radar up. What way are we walking? What is the vision for your life? What is the vision for your family? Where are you going? What's the purpose that you're here? And oftentimes we adopt the purpose the world gives us. We just naturally take on the normal pattern of the world and we say, this is what you do. You do X, Y, Z, you do X, Y, Z, and then this happens. And it's like, do we? Let's stop and think about that a minute. Where are we going? What are we doing? Happiness is impacted by the way, or the path that we follow. Number three, happiness is impacted by the mindset we align with. Once again, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This one is, is a little bit tricky. Uh, when I first read this, I'm like, yeah, I know what the word scoffer means. Duh. But then I was thinking about it. If my four-year-old asked me, hey, Daddy, can you give me a definition of scoffer? I might be like, hmm, I'm not so sure, son. So I looked it up, and I found this. It said a, a scoffer is a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something, often of religion or moral values. This one is a little bit sensitive for me. Um, I, I don't know, maybe we've known each other for a little bit, maybe we haven't. I get weird about Christian satire and humor. I really do. And it makes, maybe it makes me sound like a crazy person, but I, I get uncomfortable because I think sometimes when we're, when we're watching things that, that, I'm not saying humor's bad. Like, I think Jesus was probably really funny. Have you ever thought about the amount of hours Jesus and his disciples walked from one town to another? It's not like they got in the car, put on their Bluetooth headphones, and tuned everybody out. Right? They're walking three miles an hour together. you got to crack jokes. You're going to go crazy. Like, I bet Jesus was a pretty funny dude. I bet his disciples, they had this report. Humor is not the problem. But if humor begins to cut down reverence, that's the problem. If we begin to joke and take lightly the very things of God... What will happen is, without us even realizing it, 
our view of the holy, majestic, wonderful God will little by little begin to be cut down. Cut down little by little. And very unknowingly to us, suddenly we look up and we say, so what? Everything's a joke. What's it matter? Don't we live in a satirical culture? A culture that wants to make fun of everything that has weight and gravity and significance and importance. It's the way in which our culture is sort of steering. And I think as Christians, we need to have our alert antennas up to say, what is this doing to the things of God in my heart? Is this making joke a prayer or a prayer a joke? Is, it, is this making worship a joke? Is this making coming to church and doing what we do a joke? We come here for a very specific reason, and we talked about it last week. We come here because God commanded us to, and because when we do, it gives glory to God. Because we're worshiping and praising God, and it's good for our souls. And so suddenly, if the gathering of the church becomes a mocking joke, what's the point? Just got to be careful. And again, humor's great. Humor's often my escape route. If I feel uncomfortable, I make a joke, and I step back. You know, I just... I think it's great, but we have to be so careful about what the humor and what the jokes are doing to our souls. So, remember three things, right? Three things the psalmist says, blessed is the man, happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so if that's what you do not do, what do you do? What's the active? What's the positive? Not the negative, what's the positive? We see that in verse 2. It says, But his delight, or the person's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Becoming a happy person is dependent upon being a person of the word. When the psalmist says, meditates on the law of the Lord, what he's not talking about is meditating on being a legalist. He's not talking about meditating on, oh, if you do that, see ya. No, he's talking about the Word of God. Generally speaking, the the counsel of the God of the universe that God has given to us in the Scriptures. And what the psalmist says is you will be happy if you meditate, if you think about, if you allow this to run through your mind and through your heart, the Word of God, just two times a day. It's very simple. Only two times a day, day and night. That's it. Day and night. It's very easy to remember. And so, psalmist is saying, look, you need to, as you go, as you're walking, whatever you're doing, you need to have the scriptures up here. And you need to have them in here. And as you're encountering circumstances and situations, you need to have the scripture just pouring over you in your mind. And the only way you can have scripture in your mind and in your heart is if you actually read it and you engage with it and you know what it says. You can't think about something you don't know. You can't allow something to, to nurture your soul that you've never interacted with. And the promise of the scriptures, and God is all about fulfilling his promises, isn't he? Is that if we do this, we'll be happy people. There's something about it. And I was thinking about, well, what, how? You know, like, what are the mechanics of this? You know, I want, to, I want to figure this out. How, how is it that me knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, leads to my happiness? How does that actually functionally work? And I think those are always good questions to ask. Never be afraid to ask the question of the Bible. It's okay. God can handle it. And, and as I was sort of digging into that question, well, how does that actually work? 
I found myself, once again, doing a little bit of a word study, and there's a, there's a parallel word that Jesus uses in the New Testament era, and it's the Greek word makarios, okay? Sorry, once again, I know I'm going overboard with the words today. But Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, uses the Greek word makarios, and what makarios means, can you guess what it is? Happy. It's the same word that the psalmist is using, just one is Hebrew, one is Greek, and this is what Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, once again the word makarios, happy, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Look at this. When we know the word of God, we can be happy when we're poor in spirit because what? We know the kingdom of heaven is ours. Do you see that wonderful connection? I mean, it's just, the Bible's stunning. We can actually be happy when we're low because we know the promise of God that the kingdom of heaven is ours. We can be happy when we're mourning. And it's not to say we shouldn't weep and we shouldn't cry. Jesus wept. It's not to say we shouldn't feel pain. It's not to say we should just always be optimistic. Here I am. No, 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 no. But there's something deeper. Remember, happiness is an attribute. Something that is within you. That is cultivated, nurtured, and matured. And so what this is saying is that you can actually be a person of happiness, some deep-rooted thing, when you're mourning, because you know the promise of God is that you will be comforted. You will be, you can be happy when you're meek because you know you will inherit the earth. You can be happy when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because the promise of God is you will be filled. You can be happy in showing mercy to people who don't deserve it because you know that you have received mercy. I could go on and on and on, but you see The point, we have to know the word of God. And here's the problem. If you are low in spirit and you don't know the promise of God, you're just going to be low in spirit, right? If you're feeling meek and down and lowly and you're mourning, but you don't know that the promise of God is that one day he's going to wipe away every tear, that one day everything will be made new, that one day all in all will be in Christ. If you don't know those promises when you're mourning, you're going to be hopeless, got to know the promises of God, which means we got to be in the word of God. The text goes on. It says this. This is what this person is like, okay? We know what they don't do. We know what they do. Now, what is this person like? It says he, the person, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The really cool thing about a tree 
is um, that a tree uh, goes through storms, doesn't it? <laughs> a tree has seasons. A tree gets beaten and battered by the wind and the rain, just like Brad was. I love that. What do you, what do, you do? Just leading us to see how, how Jesus is our cornerstone and our fortress, our rock. But trees, they, they experience, again, the wind and the rain. They're, they're, the branches get ice on them. They, they, they experience all sorts of different seasons. But what the scriptures say here is that the tree that's planted by streams of water will be sustained in all of those different seasons, no matter what the seasons are. Because they have something below, something deeper, something greater that is constantly fueling them and giving them strength, no matter what season they're in. And I believe what the scriptures here are showing us today is that we can be like trees planted by streams of water. Because you know who is the source of ultimate water is Jesus. And so when we place our faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you, I trust you, I need, I need what you have, Jesus promises, he is living water that will well up into eternal life. And so when we are being battered by the storm, when the circumstances are bad, and when everybody looks at us and says, they certainly shouldn't be happy, look at what they're going through, we can be like trees because we have the all-sustaining power of Christ within us because he's overcome the world. And he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. And that should lead us to joy. That should lead us to excitement, no matter what we're walking through. And I have a couple people in my life who I think personify this. Just trees, man. Just steady. Uh, in uh, college, I um, went to Ohio Wesleyan, and I got to play baseball for a couple of years. And one of my coaches, his name was Fody Frensos. Uh, if you're in the Delaware area, you may have heard of this man. Uh, Fody, I think his, his actual name is Phoacius, which is just awesome, like Phoacius Frensos, what a name. Uh, he, I mean, he looks like a Greek statue. I mean, the dude, he, he, he was in his 50s or something, I don't know, a little bit older, but just, just the man. Anyway, I want to be like Fody when I grow up. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I derail. So Fody, every time I interacted with this man, he was there. Hey, how you doing, man? You doing, like, just... Whatever he was doing, he would throw batting practice for three hours filled with joy. He would be pulling weeds at the baseball field filled with joy. He would be, he, he'd been at Ohio Wesleyan for years. I think he was a three-sport All-American when he was there. And he was the guy who would do the team's laundry. Happily. Hey, got that stain out for you, buddy. I mean, just so into everything he was doing. And I'm like, who are you? Like, what is wrong with you? Almost. But it wasn't this weird, fake, genuine, this disingenuous happiness. We, we can feel that, right? We, can know, we, want, we know when somebody's faking it. Fody, there's nothing fake about Fody. And if I, my definition of happiness was according to the world, what I would think is that Fody has had an awesome life. He must have just had everything go right for him, and so that's why he's so happy. That's why he's so joy-filled. Well, I ended up learning about Fody's story. And what Fody shared was that as a kid, he was beaten, viciously by his father, over and over and over and over and over again for years. Fody grew up. He went to school. By the grace of God, he began a relationship with Jesus, and that transformed him. And what Fody shared was that toward the end of his father's life, what Fody would do is every day during his lunch break from work, he would go to his dad's house. And he would sit on the porch with his dad and he would bring his dad a bagged lunch. He would set it down and he would sit 
and he would talk about Jesus, and his dad would never respond. Wouldn't say a word. And Fodi went back day after day after day after day for months and months, and I think it may have even been years. I have to ask him on that one. Two years before Fodi's dad died of cancer, he accepted Christ. Fodi said this about his father. He says, I have nothing bad to say about my father, only praises that he got to know Jesus two years before he died. Happiness is not an unpredictable feeling that comes and goes, church. Biblical happiness is a personal attribute to be intentionally pursued, cultivated, and matured. So that we can be people who are bearing fruit like the tree that's sustained by living water. And when we bear fruit, others benefit from that fruit, don't they? Others see something different and they benefit from what Christ has done in us. In church, we can be the tree sustained by living water and God can use us to benefit others, to lead them and point them to Jesus. And I just want us to hear the warning here of the psalm, the psalmist as he closes. As we've seen all of this, like, I want that, we need that. We're like, yeah, praise God, amen. The, the other option for us, church, and this is the, the option that we're all sort of naturally born into, not sort of, the, is the, the option we're born into. Verse 4 says, the wicked are not so. They're not like the tree. <laughs> but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff was sort of this, is sort of, not was, is this external shell of grain. And what would happen is in the olden times of harvesting, they would gather all the grain, put it on something called a threshing floor, and they'd beat, beat the grain and the, the, the um, totally forgot the word, chaff, thank you. The chaff, the chaff would, would it's, light, it's super light, and it would come up off of the grain, and the wind would take it and blow it away. And so they would literally build barns that had one giant opening on one side and one on the other, so the wind would come through. And so when they were beating the chaff, beating the grain, the chaff would come off and sweep the chaff away into nothingness. And that's what the scriptures say is, is like someone who, who doesn't follow the ways of God. Just going to get blown away. And then he goes on, this is even more sort of painful, verse 5, he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so this is where I want to just close us here, church, that the pursuit of happiness, all of these things we just talked about, not the Will Smith movie, but the pursuit of happiness is ultimately, church, a pursuit of Jesus. It's just a pursuit of who Jesus is. When we're pursuing Jesus, we're naturally going to have a filter that pays attention to the things that we're listening to. When we're pursuing Jesus, we're naturally going to look around and see, who am I surrounding myself with? Because the people you surround yourself with and the way in which you're walking has an impact on you. You will oftentimes become the people you surround. Right? When we're pursuing and following Jesus, we're naturally going to have a filter on of like, no, I want to keep reverent and holy the things of God. When we are pursuing Jesus, church, as I said before, we're going to be recipients of the living water that Christ promises us. And it will well up into us unto eternal life. And we will be like the tree planted by the water that withstands the storm and bears fruit for all those around us. And I want that for you. I want that for us. I want that for the church all to the praise of his glory. So ultimately, church, the pursuit of happiness is a pursuit of Jesus. And if so, if you want happiness, if you want not just a, 
thing that happens and sometimes it doesn't based upon your circumstances, but you want happiness to be something that defines who you are, you need Jesus. You have to have Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful that you hear us. And um, God, I'm so grateful for your word that uh, just, it just shows us so many things that we wouldn't normally see. We would never see. Father, for, the, for maybe the one in here this morning who doesn't yet really know Jesus and, and really wants <laughs> what the promises of scriptures are, I, I want to encourage you here this morning to submit to Christ. And what submitting to Christ means is saying, I, I need saving. <laughs> saving from my sin. My sin has resulted in death. Jesus, I need you to take that death for me. I need you to make that payment for me. I need you to give me a new life. And Jesus is faithful to do that. Wonderful thing, one of the wonder, many wonderful things about Christ is he never turns away a sinner. <laughs> no matter how broken, no matter how messed up we are, Jesus always says, come to me. And for those of us in the room who are believers, that same promise is true for us. We can all come to Jesus lay down our burdens, to lay down our sorrows, to lay things down at the feet of Jesus and say, I need you. I want to pursue you. I want to be a person who desires you, Jesus. Father, I'm so grateful for your word, the way that it leads us and it guides us. I'm so grateful for the gathering of the church. Father, I pray that you were glorified in our midst this morning. And as we go out into the world, we would be a people who are bearing fruit that fruit would point people to you, Jesus. Make us a people of happiness and a joy that only comes from you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.